You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clubo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Hello, Cliff. Hi, Bobes. How you doing, man? Good, man. Good. Just uh, been busy and answering a lot of emails. I did that interview with Dave Paulides for his Missing 411 uh, Can-Am YouTube channel. And so I, he's such a popular guy. He's got so many viewers that I'm getting a ton of email. And uh, we filmed that at the Montana Vortex in Montana, which blew my mind. And I always tell Cliff, if you're not under the woo, your head's full of poo. Dude, I saw it with my own eyes. I mean, some of the stuff I'm not, I, I got to see it like measured and, you know, that to be convinced. Some of it just looks like I, you know, like slanted rooms and stuff, but I felt the power there and I had an incredible experience there with Dave Paulides and Joe. And, anyways, today our guest is Joe Hauser, owner of the Montana Vortex. Hello, everybody. Hi, Chris. Hi, Bobo. Hey, Joe. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, yeah, Bobo has been ranting and raving, his arms flailing widely and his eyes wide open since he's gotten back about all the stuff and all the amazing weirdness that he experienced at the Montana Vortex. So um, I, I got to ask, I mean, I've never been out there. I've heard you know, a few whispers here and there, but I, what, what in the world is going on at the Montana Vortex? Well, there's, like you said, there is a lot of strange things happening here, and it's probably one of the most paranormal places in North America with all the, the different paranormal activity that we have here. And uh, many people come in like, uh, like Bobo did, kind of thinking it's a hokey roadside attraction. And when I got here, it kind of was, but we bought it to research electromagnetic energy fields and try to put some science behind what's happening here. And so we measured the field. Uh, we discovered all kinds of cool things. We developed a guided tour. And we show people about 18 different demonstrations, both inside and outside the House of Mystery, in the energy field. And basically, it's kind of like experiencing quantum physics at the macro level where you can see it and experience it versus uh, having to be in a laboratory condition. This is actually our laboratory here. Yeah, Cliff. And Joe's got a real scientific background. I mean, he had a huge biological or uh, environmental consulting company. I mean, he had hundreds of employees. He did all PG&E contracts. He's a respected scientist, so he's not just some, you know, Yahoo like me opened this. I mean, he knows his, he's got a background in science. So it's basically some sort of a, uh, some sort of electromagnetic situation out there. Is that the, the gist of it or? Well, it would be a, it would be called a geomagnetic anomaly in the Earth's electromagnetic field, but the Earth's electromagnetic, well, the Earth's field is electromagnetic in nature, uh, so it, it's something we can measure. Uh, you can bring in various meters, tri-field meters, anything that can measure the electromagnetic field, and uh, <clears throat> it varies. It kind of rides a wave up and down every day. Uh, there's there's actually three vortexes on the ground, and the smallest one is about 54 foot in diameter and it's a very concentrated energy field but that rides a wave about three three and a half hours up three three and a half hours down and uh like bobo i mean he could feel the energy uh, a lot of people feel it that are more sensitive to energy feel it in the parking lot before they even come into the gift shop or or go on the tour so it's something that's tangible it can be measured and it also uh, can be felt well, if this is magnetic, does that mean that people have to dis discard their cell phones and other things and, uh, on the property and or otherwise fear losing memory because, you know, magnetism erases memory cards? How does that work with you? No, it doesn't doesn't affect it does affect electronics. Um, many days uh, it doesn't erase anything. We've never had that happen. But electronics, cameras, cell phones, uh, watches, uh, all all kinds of different electronics can be affected by it. Some days when people are trying to take pictures, uh, it it drains the energy from their batteries. Uh, and then they move over a foot or so one way or another, the energy comes back, and basically they were standing on a, a line of energy or an energy spot and it and it just drains uh, batteries and does affect electronics and what do you believe is the root cause of this i mean certainly some sort of a um 
some sort of a ge- geological phenomenon, probably just like up here in the lava fields in Washington. Um, there's a there's some sort of electromagnetic situation there where compasses don't work, and it probably has a lot to do with magnetism and the rocks underneath. So, is there something like that going on there, or or what do you think is going on? Well, that's a possibility. Nobody knows for sure exactly what causes these anomalies. They're spread out all over the United States and also the world, but. Um, the geology, uh, what's interesting is the geology is not the same as you travel around to these different areas. And, all, and we thought about geology here years ago. We had a geologist on our staff that did a study here. And basically, we're in a, a large canyon, a Bobosot. We're between two mountain ranges. And uh, <clears throat> the glacier till here is probably about 300 foot deep, and it's just uh, glacier rocks, um, like river run, gravel, and stuff like that. Uh, the, the basic geology is all limestone, uh, so that's uh, we can't really pin it on geology, but nobody really knows what causes it. It, it is just an anomaly in the Earth's uh, field. And it's attracted Native Americans from hundreds of miles for centuries and centuries. Yeah, the uh, the Blackfeet were the people that probably originally discovered the Vortex. And even though they're on the other side of the divide, this was part of their territory. And they have a long oral history here. And I've interviewed many uh, Blackfeet elders over the years, and they call it a place of no return. It's part of their oral history. At some point in time, somebody disappeared here and never came back, which brings up the whole thing about portals. And anywhere you go in the world, these vortexes are known as portals into other dimensions or worlds. Now, why would that be the case? That they're known as that or that there's a portal here? Um, well, so the, the latter of the two, that there is a portal, because obviously if there is one, that's why they would be known as that. Well, yeah, that, that's why. We, we actually, that's another reason why we bought the property was to investigate the possibility of interdimensional portals uh, based on other areas that have similar occurrences. And um, we've, we weren't here more than about a year and we doing experiments and stuff. And, and we pretty much came to the conclusion that we had at least one and maybe three portals on the property based on what we've seen, what we've experienced. Uh, what we felt and photographed. And, and tell, tell us about those experiments, because experiments, of course, I'm, a, I'm an amateur scientist. I advocate science instead of hearsay. Um, sci- uh, experiments are always set up to try to support a hypothesis in some sort of way. So tell me about one of those experiments that you feel perhaps uh, was very, had a very positive result. Well, a lot of it is by observation um, because we are here every day. So it's, it's visual op- observation of what we see or what we photograph, but also just being able to measure the field. Um, we both had uh, one of my guides uh, had an experience. He was uh, teaching a dowsing class down in an area of the property um, You've heard the term ley lines. We're on a basic um, uh, a ley line, which is a magnetic uh, <clears throat> a magnetic line that circles the Earth, basically. And we're crossing two ley lines. One goes up the canyon, and one comes uh, goes north and south. So at these crossing points where there's ley lines, there tend to be these type of anomalies. An experiment we did here two or three years ago, uh, we had a young scientist come in from Puerto Rico, and he bought a, t- a Tesla invention in that he had recreated during from Tesla patents. And it's kind of like an over-under machine, uh, they call them. Um, <clears throat> you put, in this case, we were putting 84 watts of energy in, and when we got it fired up, uh, we were putting out anywhere from 20 to... 44,000 milligauss of electromagnetic energy. So it's, it's, uh, the, the magnetism there is being changed into electricity, is what you're saying? Because they are the same force. Electromagnetic force is one force, so that's possible. Yeah. Well, what we did with those experiments is we wanted to see if we could raise the energy level up on the vortex grounds to create a tipping point and possibly open a portal or to see what we could see if uh, 
I mean, it's a big area. It's it's five acres. We deal with about two acres around the House of Mystery. But uh, we, 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 t- we went out during the day. We measured the energy field. It ranged anywhere from 500 to about 900 milligauss of electromagnetic energy. And when the fellow came in and set up his machine, we cranked it up. And immediately, uh, the energy in the gift shop, we, we put it in there just to try it out. It went up to about... 13,000 milligauss of electromagnetic energy. Uh, We fine-tuned it a little bit up and got up to about 15,000. Then we turned the machine off, went outside, tested all the demonstrations. They all seemed to work. Nothing had changed. But the energy out there was just outrageous. It was just humming with energy. So the next day we came back, we set it up actually in the center of the bigger vortex, which is 216 foot in diameter. We cranked the machine up again, and we got it up to between 42 and 44 milligauss of electromagnetic energy. So the whole place was just buzzing. To give you an idea, uh, an MRI when you go to the hospital is around 52,000 milligauss of electromagnetic energy. So we were really putting a lot of energy into the system. We took pictures then, and unfortunately, we were we were spending a lot of time um, measuring things, heat, uh, temperatures, uh, electromagnetic field. So we didn't get to, a chance to take that many pictures, but all the pictures we took, everything was out of phase. I mean, if I took your picture, you would be in maybe three or four different places at the same time uh, show up in the camera. So once we, uh, once we got it up that high, we let it run for a little while. We turned it off. We went around. The whole field had increased uh, to where it just stayed consistently up in the fifteen to 16,000 milligauss range. And it stayed that way for almost the rest of the day. And then it gradually started going down and kind of got into that uh, wave pattern again, three, three and a half hours up, three and a half hours down. What we did, though, is we had we suspected there could be a portal inside the House of Mystery uh, as one of the places in the smaller vortex. So we set up infrared cameras in there. And what we were really wanting to do was to see, one, if the portal would open and anything crazy would come through, and also to see if we could capture uh, any Bigfoot photos. What does Bigfoot have to do with any of this so far? Well, we research paranormal things here. Yeah, but well, again, what does Bigfoot have to do with that? Listen, Cliff. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just said, like, I'm going, well, okay. Well, so far, a lot of uh, uh, measurements and things and um, very small amounts of electricity, as far as I understand it. But again, um, yeah, the, go, ahead, go ahead. I'll just I'll just let you finish because, yeah, so far it doesn't jive with the model that I use. But that's okay. Maybe I'm not right. That's okay. Uh Everything is energy, frequency, and vibration. And we figure that we're increasing the energy, possibly the frequency and vibration of this field, and it could possibly open up a portal. If we look at quantum physics, we know there's anywhere from 7 to 14 different dimensions all vibrating at a a different frequency. And theoretically, one dimension is on top of another. So we're here in the third dimension, but what's to say the fourth dimension isn't just above our head somewhere? Do you count uh, time as the fourth dimension as physicists do? Actually, uh, Einstein came up with that as time, but a lot of physicists are turning away from that uh, and just looking at it as a, as multiple dimensions stacked on a, on top of each other rather than the fourth dimension being time. Hmm. Okay, so time doesn't qualify as a dimension in new physics? Is that, is that what you're saying? It still does, but uh, people are starting to move, uh, physicists are starting to move away from, uh, from Einstein's theory there that the fourth dimension is time. Speaking of time, we did some crude time experiments here, and we found out that we had one second difference inside of the house of mystery versus outside. And if you factor that into uh, relativity, uh, that's a major time difference, um, a significant time difference which indicates that uh, you could have a wormhole or a portal or something like that. What we were trying to do is open a portal, though, in that experiment and see what came through. And we were actually hoping we would see something 
including the possibility of Bigfoot. I've been doing this for a long time, and I came to the conclusion a long time ago that uh, Bigfoot possibly could be interdimensional. And there's a lot of evidence to indicate uh, that they may not be here all the time. They may come and go from this dimension. So we were hoping that we would be able to capture something like that, too. And that's how Bigfoot fits into that equation there. Why did you use infrared light to monitor it? We had we had a cheap cam we had a cheap camera system, and uh, <clears throat> it was kind of a, a quick deal where we went and got the cameras and put them in there, and it was infrared and heat activated. So uh, we only had one camera in there because uh, we had to instead of running wired cameras, which at that time were outrageously expensive, uh, we got this cheap system that was um, Wi-Fi, so we could set the monitor up in the house and actually record 100, 150 foot away. And what were the results of that experiment? Well, the first few days we didn't have anything happen, and then the infrared alarm started going off one day, and we had a gigantic white orb right in the center of the House of Mystery, and it was inside of a blue donut type thing, like a torsion field. Uh, and it was just glowing. Uh, I got a video of that. And then, um, unfortunately, we had taken the SD card out of the monitor when this happened to download whatever was, was on it, which turned out to be nothing. And I didn't have the SD card back in there, so I had to film it with my video camera. And the place we had to put the monitor because of... Uh, to be able to be in range was kind of awkward. And I ended up dropping the camera just as I'm filming this orb. But what happened, that orb kind of morphed into a being. And in the beginning, it was, if you've seen the uh, Midas, uh, the, what's the tire people um, that have the kind of the fat. Uh, oh, the Michelin man, is that what you're talking about? Michelin man, Bobo's seen the photos, he knows what I'm talking about. It kind of morphs into this Michelin man thing, and it has arms and legs, and it's floating around inside of the house of mystery, and then it just kind of disappears. Well, we ended up filming for about an hour, and uh, over that period of time, we got 15, 18 videos of these things coming in like that. Sometimes they come in, that's kind of, let's say, let's call that a spiritual presence or an energy presence, almost like a light being. But then towards the end of uh, the hour, we had them come in in a physical presence. And again, you saw the, you've seen the, the videos a couple times, Bobo. I mean, it comes in and it's the typical Bigfoot, uh, sagittal crest, cone head, uh, arms, shoulders, and it moves around in there. It's bizarre. It, it, you have to see it. It's, it's very, it, it's hard. to. You can't explain it like with Newtonian physics. No, you can't. And, and it, it moves around in this physical presence. Um, it's all whited out. Um, you can't see any detail on it or eyes or anything like that. It's completely white. And then after it moves around a little bit, it just kind of starts morphing into this light being and floating up into the air and kind of moves around up in the ceiling and eventually dis disappears. And then another one comes on. And this goes on, like I say, through about 15, 18 different videos. Now, uh, what experiment um, could you design, or maybe you have already, I don't know, to try to, to, try to differentiate whatever results you're getting from uh, any quote-unquote portal situation to something else um, that is perhaps more commonly related to uh, weird things like ghosts or something like that or some sort of thing like that? Is there a way or some experiment that perhaps you've tried before to differentiate the difference? Because what if that the, the appropriately named house of mystery is just haunted or something weird like that? You know, that could be, uh, Cliff, and that's always a possibility with any of these type of paranormal investigations you do. But because we don't, we're trying to understand how to open these portals or these energy fields. And because no one knows for sure how to do it, uh, although NASA has been working on it for a number of years and putting a lot of money into trying to open a portal, they're convinced that they now exist. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of hard to develop a, an experiment that would differentiate one from the other. But if once you see the videos and you see this 
torsion type field you're looking into. Um, I mean, it's reasonable to, to, to think that you could possibly be looking into a portal. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Certainly, you didn't develop this theory on your own. I mean, nobody does. Nobody thinks and um, develops models in a vacuum. Um, Upon whose work are you building? Actually, everything here is experimental. It's as we come up with ideas to do experiments. um, We've been doing this for 16 years. And 16 years ago, nobody in the scientific community was really talking about portals or doing anything like that. Um, As I said, Dr. Jack Scudder, uh, he's a quantum physicist from the University of Iowa. And he along with NASA, have concluded, and they've even published it on their NASA educational page, that electromagnetic anomalies all over the world could potentially be interdimensional portals. And like I say, NASA is is spending lots of money uh, giving it to the doctor to try to figure out a way to open these portals. Uh, Dr. Scudder believes it's, uh, it's an interaction between the Earth's electromagnetic field and the sun's electromagnetic field. And when the conditions are just right, uh, these portals could possibly open. However, we look at it in terms of the ancients. We know shaman, medicine men, healers, kahunas worldwide have been potentially having access to these portals or uh, all over the world. And that could be just energy, frequency, and vibration that they're using uh, with their physical bodies in order to open the field. I would imagine um, that, uh, I mean, I don't know the physics behind it. I'm, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt that you've done the, the, uh, the work and whatnot, you know. Um, but I would imagine that to rip open um, space-time, you would need a tremendous amount of energy, just a, a ridiculous amount of energy. Because, you know, I took physics in college, you know, a couple of years of it, actually. Um, and well, calculus, too, kicked my ass, and I didn't want anything to do with it anymore. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, that just the, the amount of energy involved in any of this stuff must be absolutely astronomical, um, not only literally, but metaphorically. Um, do you think that um, it's actually even possible um, inside, our, uh, you know, in the Earth's, like, uh, system, or do we have to go outside of that system to uh, be able to penetrate such a thing? I think it's possible inside the Earth system. Um, NASA obviously thinks that it that it's this interaction between the sun's field and the Earth's field. But like I say, uh, the ancients have been accessing these portals and other dimensions and worlds um, I mean, potentially, if you believe uh, in all of the shaman stuff and stuff like that, uh, they've been accessing, ac- accessing for thousands uh, of years. So now bring it back to paranormal. Like, what, what does this have to do with um, anything paranormal or even Bigfoot, you know, which, again, I don't consider paranormal in the slightest. Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily either. I mean, paranormal. There's two sides of the paranormal coin. There, there's two sides of the same coin. There's normal on one side, paranormal on the other side. And normal, what we consider normal, is we put science behind it. Somebody's done a study. They publish something. Somebody's verified it, and all of a sudden, it becomes normal. It's like Tom Powell says in his book, fifty years ago. Um, astrophysicists so i mean astrophysics was considered paranormal now we accept that they can measure energy from out in the universe and stuff like that and it's become normal because we put science behind it so most paranormal things which we would call paranormal um, most people think there's not any science behind it but every once in a while i'll put it on my facebook page or send it out Uh, over the years i've researched there's over uh, 105 studies on what we would call paranormal things that have been peer-reviewed and published in different journals that uh, takes a look at many things uh, that we do consider paranormal, like cloaking, interdimensional travel, orbs, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, you see those new Toyota cars where the that metal post that goes down between the windshield and the door, you know, they, they have that wraparound cloaking technology now. You're not even going to be able to see that. There's going to be no blind spot on your car. 
I have not heard about the Toyota um, <laughs> new technology to make cars invisible. No, I've no, not no, heard no. That. Just that you think when you get that blind, <laughs> if you turn the left turn, there's that where the frame of the car comes down. It's, it's it, the frame of the door and it holds the windshield right. That's just that strip strip of metal going down from the dashboard. You know, they got a cloaking technology that wraps around that now that the driver does not see it. There's no blind spot. It doesn't see the, there's no blind spot. Uh, the first use of cloaking really was uh, our fighter jets. Our fighter jets have been cloaked in a weak electromagnetic energy field for a number of years. And uh, <clears throat> that causes them to be invisible, basically, to radar. And by the time somebody figures out they're there, they've already done their bombing or whatever they're going to do. Uh, you're right, Bobo Toyota, a few years ago, it's actually been about three or four years ago now, developed this cloaking technique where they figured out a way to wrap an electromagnetic field uh, around um, when you're, where your door closes and it's up by your windshield, that column right there creates a blind spot. It causes many accidents. So by wrapping this electromagnetic field around it, they've been able to cloak that, uh, that column and make it disappear, and you can actually see through it. And Toyota was the first one to, uh, to come up with that sort of technology. Yeah, that's a surprise. You'd think it'd be Tesla or something like that. You know, they're always poking around in places. It's it's probably based on some of Tesla's technology, um, but uh, that's um, that's something that Toyota is doing. And if we can cloak um, cloak a uh, <clears throat> you know a column in a car that's solid, then what else can we cloak? Well, you know, some, a practical question is coming up in my head right now. Um, aren't you concerned that you live there or even visit there? Because, you know, that there is some there is some, are some studies that suggest that people live near power lines have a much higher uh, prevalence of cancer, for example. Um, aren't you a bit concerned about that sort of thing since you live and work on the site or at least near the site? Actually, when I did work for PG&E, there were several studies done. Lots of people live under power lines and uh, lots of farmers that have crops and fields and stuff have live under power lines also. And if you look at those type of people that are out in the country living under power lines versus people in the city, you find out that, yes, there seems to be an incidence, uh, a higher incidence of cancer of people in the city doing that versus farmers. I've talked to farmers over many years that grow different crops um, under PG&E lines, and basically they're healthy. They live in their 90s. Nobody in the family has gotten cancer from the power lines. However, they're much more relaxed living out there. People that are in the city are stressed. They are, uh, and, I, and I believe stress is a factor that's pushing that inside of the cities more than the power lines are. So it's an urban phenomenon, basically. I think it is, yes. And there, there is some evidence to indicate that, that that's a possibility. As far as this being a safe place, though, it's been here for, this is our 54th year open. Uh, the original people who discovered it had no idea what they discovered. It, it scared the heck out of them. Uh, they had bought the property as, a, uh, as an investment property, and we're going to put a little family campground here when they retired. There was no buildings on the grounds at that point. And they came here, set up their little campground, and they started exploring the property. And um, it was Joe and Marge Haber. And Marge walked over the hill where the House of Mystery is right now. And she got really dizzy and disoriented and fell down. And Joe thought maybe she had a heart attack or something. So he went over to help her, and he got really dizzy and disoriented too. And I talked to them on the phone years ago. They both passed away now. And they basically said, it, it, we didn't know what we walked into, but it scared the heck out of us. And we literally couldn't get up and walk. We we had to crawl out on our hands and knees. And then we got up on the, up on the flat surface again, and we got out of it. Now, is that something that happens to people now that visit? Or is it something uh, like, for example, you and your family? Or have you gained some sort of tolerance or something akin to that? I think I've, I've developed some sort of tolerance to it. I can always feel the energy. Like Boba was here, he could feel the energy. Almost, I would say about 98% of the people that come here feel the energy, feel some sort of energy. Depending on how sensitive they are to the energy, uh, some of them are affected more than others. And then there's a couple percent that say, I don't know what all the big deal is. You know, uh, we got 30 people on our tour and 28 of them are saying, oh my. Uh, and the rest of them, uh, two guys or one guy or one lady's like, I don't feel anything. So 
most people do feel something here. Many people describe it as Sedona on steroids. Tons of people go to Sedona to the Sedona vortexes, and that's another geomagnetic anomaly. And they go there because they want to feel the energy. They go there for healing purposes, stuff like that. And then they come here and they say, well, I've been to Sedona and I didn't feel anything. Am I going to feel it here? And we always say, well, you have to go down and see. And they go down there and they're just absolutely amazed. Uh, they said, whoa, this is nothing like Sedona or any place I've ever been. You can really feel it. Yeah, I got re-energized there, man. I, I, it, I could, you could feel it. I mean, it was like, uh, it reminded me of soaking in the Solduck hot springs up in the Olympics, in the Olympic mountains. I just came out there like, so revived, and that's how I felt when I left the vortex after spending a couple days there. Well, many people also come here for healing energy. The Blackfeet recognized it as, as a as a place of healing too, and they utilized uh, the area for that purpose. But uh, we're not claiming that we that you can come here and be healed. But many people have been here over the years and continue to come back uh, just for the the healing properties of the energy. Now, certainly wildlife would be much more sensitive than pretty much any human, in my opinion. I don't have a real high you know opinion of people though in general. So um, I, certainly wildlife would be probably more sensitive. So what what sort of effect does uh, the situation have on the local wildlife? Uh, generally, they avoid the area. We have uh, we have uh, whitetail, mule deer, we have grizzlies, black bears, uh, we have all mountain lion, all the animals, and generally they avoid the area. Uh, the deer will run through here, but they don't spend any time in the area. And the same with the bears or anything else. Uh, small animals don't seem to be affected by it, like squirrels, chipmunks, uh, robins. They nest in the area, and some of the small birds but uh, larger animals especially horses too we've had many people bring horses uh, in trailers into the parking lot and the horses uh, get upset and kind of start kicking and bucking and stuff inside the trailer uh, and they can feel the energy too so it does affect wildlife yeah he's got some he's got some other weird pictures too clip in there where it looks like there's a bigfoot like a physical one in the pictures, like part, but never a whole picture of it, like partial shots. We have, we believe we have a family of Bigfoot here, uh, probably an older adult male and female, and then they've had offspring here. And all of the offspring we believe have, um, have had opportunities to go in the house of mystery and play in there, just like humans do, kids do, and stuff like that. And we've actually had uh, two sightings on the same night of a small Bigfoot. Uh, the first one was an individual sighting, a friend of ours who is not into outdoors, not into Bigfoot or anything else. He was out in the vortex area, and he saw what he described as about a four-foot-tall auburn-colored Bigfoot with long auburn hair, long arms down to his knees, and he was skipping down the trail to our first station where we bring our tours to. And then he's, well, yeah, skipping like a little kid would skip. So at four foot high, I'm kind of thinking it's a juvenile Bigfoot. Uh, I can't prove that. But at any rate, it, it skipped down the trail. And then he said it just disappeared in front of his eyes and it was gone. Well, he got really scared and ran back into the house. I had gone to the airport to pick up my son and hadn't come back yet. When I got back, he said, you're not going to believe what I saw on the trail. He described it to me. And I said, well, did you tell anybody else? Uh, and we had a we had some people from Canada down there. They were part of a paranormal group that I had talked to right before I left. And they had their cameras and they were setting up their their uh, meters and all kinds of different things. And they were actually going to stay on the grounds that night till two, three, four o'clock in the morning and record or uh, photograph anything they could. I went down to the, he said, no, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't see anybody. So I went down there and I talked to them a few minutes later and they said, you're not going to, you're not going to believe what we just saw. Uh, we call it the aura spot. It's an area where we teach people how to, ha how to actually see their own aura, which is part of the tour. 
And they said, uh, we heard these two small whoops down in the aura spot. And we looked down there, uh, we all saw what we think is about a four foot tall Bigfoot, uh, auburn colored hair, long hair, arms down to its knees. And when we all looked at it, it jumped up in the air, threw its arms up, and it did that a couple times like, hey, look at me. And then it took off running through the woods. We have several pictures now. That was a number of years ago. We have several pictures now, partial pictures, where this auburn red Bigfoot shows up inside the house of mystery. And we can see his arm, part of his shoulder, his head. It's, it's one of those blurry pictures, but it is in color, and it is auburn red. Um, and then three years ago... Um, I was out there doing a tour, and I saw an auburn red uh, colored Bigfoot walk up the trail to the house of mystery. It's about seven, a little bit over seven foot tall, I would estimate. And he had long arms, long hair, um, built like a thin middle linebacker for any football team he wanted to play on, shoulders about four foot wide. And he just turned and went right over to the entrance to the House of Mystery. There's a porch on the front that's about six eight. His head was uh, several inches above that. He actually had to duck down, and he went inside the House of Mystery. I quickly finished up the tour, and I ran over to the House of Mystery. And when I got in, I went to the opposite door. I could hear him walking around in there. It was like an 800-pound person walking on this old floor. And I went to the, other, the, the exit door. And as soon as I came around the exit door and looked inside, we have a weight in there that weighs about 13 pounds that we use for demonstrations. Bobo had an opportunity to play around with that. And uh, that weight was up in the air. It'd be like if I was seven foot tall and I grabbed the weight. It's on a chain. And it was up in the air uh, above the rafters. And as soon as I came in the doorway, there was nothing in the house. I couldn't see anything except the weight up in the air. And as soon as I came in, the weight was dropped. It swung over, bounced off of the wall, started going all cockeyed. And immediately, uh, it was like, an, like I said, like an 800-pound person took two steps uh, to get out of the house of mystery. And it covered about 20 foot in two steps. So I couldn't see anything, but what holds a weight up in the air, a 13-pound weight, seven-plus foot up in the air. Well, now, in my place of business, I have several hidden cameras um, that monitor everything all the time. Do you have anything like that in your business? That, that like, these things that you're reporting are, are actually are, are, can be uh, observed and shared? Actually, we have, uh, we have seven, about seven hidden cameras, too, or cameras, too, and we get all kinds of strange things on it. We have, uh, about three months ago, I put uh, two cameras back in the House of Mystery, uh, both shooting opposite each other, one from one direction, one from another direction. And over that period of time, uh, we didn't capture anything like we saw before, where we had these, uh, what appeared to be Bigfoot, come in there and move around. But we've captured things that appear to be coming in like like an orb-like being, and then it starts manifesting into this brown thing with arms and legs on it. And then it never quite completely comes into this dimension. It just kind of fades out or disappears. So yeah, we over the over the last three months, we've recorded lots of different things like that. And are, is there a place that uh, either me or, or, or I can go look at these things or our listeners can go look at these things? Actually, so far, we have, uh, we've only shown a few people. I did, uh, I did take some of the videos at, uh, <clears throat> over to Quinault. Uh, one of the times I spoke over there, and I, I don't know, there's about 600 people there that saw them. Uh, but we haven't made them public yet. And... Ton, lots of people have seen them. All of all of our friends, you might say, the Ron Moorheads, Dave, Dave Polites, uh, a lot of the big footers that I've been associated with for a number of years have seen the videos, and they're just amazed. They're blown away. Uh, what's your concern? Is there a concern about putting them out to the larger public, or is is there something that, that you, it's it's for people who are are prone towards paranormal phenomenon in the beginning, or is what's the hesitation about putting these out to the general public? Or is there? I mean, is there? I mean, it's not a challenge. It's a, um, general curiosity, really. Actually, we think we have something really special here, and everybody who sees it's like 
whoa. And I, and like I say, Bobo seen him. I think it kind of blew his mind. Tom Powell seen him and he was just blown away. Um, we're waiting for the right opportunity to come or come along and put them out in a venue um, in the form of a documentary or something like that, where it gives credibility to what's going on here, that this is more than just a, just a hokey roadside attraction. There's, there's lots of things happening here that people just don't realize. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Well, it sounds like a blast. I'd love to get out there. And, and, and by the way, just, just because I ask you slightly harder questions than perhaps, you, you know, uh, uh, someone else might, you know, because I'm skeptical all around. And I am, I am skeptical of the Montana Vortex, and I think I should be. I think everyone should be, just like you should be skeptical of Sasquatches, just like you should be skeptical of everything, because the truth can withstand the scrutiny, um, no matter how close you look at it. But um, it sounds like a blast. I love this. I know Bobo had a good time. Yeah, we're, we're all learned men of science here. And Cliff, until you go see it, you really can't, you, you just have to see it for yourself. I mean, the craziest thing, I mean, those videos are cool. And like, I mean, they're pretty mind-blowing, especially those ones that look like Bigfoot's morphing and then going up into the ether, just disappearing. But uh, the that, uh, what do you call that? That flat spot where you have that board measured, leveled out, and then you walk around six feet and you switch spots and you shrink. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, we call that our shrink and grow platform. And this is a phenomenon associated with vortexes worldwide. Uh, we have what's called demarcation lines on the property. And when you're standing uh, on one side of these energy lines versus the other side, uh, you have the appearance of shrinking and growing. And a lot of people think, oh, well, it's the cricket house in the background, or it's this or that or whatever. But you can see it with your own eyes. Uh, It is measurable. And you can take photos of it, and you can measure in your photos. But we found people want to measure themselves on the platform itself. And anytime you put anything in the field behind one of these demarcation lines, it shrinks too, uh, which is relativity. I mean, so... Like when Bobo was here, Bobo, I'm six foot, Bobo, what, you're like six, three, something like that. Uh, Once we got on, I got on the short side and I was like six inches shorter than him. And as soon as we changed sides, I'm as tall or taller than him. You were taller. Yeah, taller. Yeah. And by the way, I think Dave sent you those photos that we took on the hexagon out there or it was on your camera. I didn't get a copy of those. I was going to put those up so people could see them. But if you have them. Dave has those. Does he? Okay. He said he thought he did it with your camera and he doesn't have them. But anyway, yeah, it, it's not measurable in the field because anything you put in there shrinks, but you can measure it in photos. And people, um, the new cameras, I don't know, they're S something or other cameras or iPhones, they actually have a measuring ability on them or an app that's downloaded on there. So people can hold that as they're taking a picture and it will measure you on the platform from one side to the other. And Basically, you're three, four, five, six inches shorter on one side than you are on the other. We need one of those for finding Bigfoot, so Bobo will stop heckling me for being so short. <laughs> uh, Cliff, you have to do it. See, I, that's the one thing I want to see. Like, like a laser measurement wouldn't even work because the laser beam would be just as distorted. Is that what you're saying, Joe? Actually, we actually we thought that would happen. We've we've done uh, several different things here with laser beams um, and laser levels and stuff like that, and we were hoping that there would be a distortion uh, that the laser would be dis- distorted when it crossed the field, but it do- it doesn't seem to happen, and uh, and we haven't been able to do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so we can't say that it doesn't happen, but uh, you. Using a laser uh, is an accurate way to measure. And when you're on one side of the, uh, of the, uh, say you're on the side where you're your normal height on the platform, we put a laser on top of your head or we put it on a transit like you're shooting uh, for construction, like you're putting in forms and you need to level things up. Um, and we move it to the other side, uh, you're three, four, five inches shorter. The beam just goes over your head versus being on top of your head. So there's definitely something going on there. And nobody has been able to put anything behind it. But we think it's energy. Uh, we're, as we, we're basically quantum beings. We live in a quantum field. 
And although we seem to be solid, uh, we're made up of, of particles, uh, electrons, photons. And those particles we know in quantum physics can be either a particle, which is solid, or they have a wave function where they're not solid. And that's some, that's some one of the things that we show people here. We think at any given time, you're either in a particle function or in a wave function. But when you step into these fields, uh, your electrons potentially all go into a wave function. And maybe you are shorter in that field. Uh, Einstein in relativity said as something approaches the speed of light, it should get smaller or shorter. It should shrink. And that's one of the things we haven't been able to verify with relativity yet because we haven't found any, we have we don't have a craft or anything that can go that distant or go that fast. But here, when you're in that field, you're in electro, you're in an electromagnetic field, you're an electromagnetic field. So we kind of feel that you become part of the field when you're there. And all the electrons in that field are swirling around the house in a close to the speed of light. So we think that may be part of the effect too. We think of ourselves as being solid, but really we're just energy. We're not solid at all. So you say that the, uh, the, the particles are swirling around the field. Um, how is that determined? You've seen a classic uh, example of a spiral, like some of the pectoglyphs that you see on rocks. It starts in the center and it spirals out. Um, through our research, we've found that these vortexes can form to what's called the Fibonacci spiral. And the Fibonacci spiral shows up all over in nature. I mean, there's over 1,400 plants in North America that have seeds, leaves, or stems that rotate in a vortex spiral that can form to the Fibonacci number sequence, hurricanes, tornadoes. So we believe believe that these vortexes do conform to a Fibonacci spiral. They start in the center, like the one vort vortex in the house of mystery starts in the center. It spirals out. Uh, we can find the lines of energy. And one of those lines goes across uh, the shrink and grow platform at the, at the far end. So that's what I mean. And uh, being an electromagnetic field, we're a tornado or hurricane. A tornado is wind, hurricane is water. We feel the vortex here is created by electrons moving through that field or the, the electromagnetic field moving in a spiral-like fashion. Now, when you say you feel that, um, I don't, I'm assuming you don't mean literally, or perhaps you do, but has there ever been an attempt, like, you know, because I can, phys even in high school physics, we, we did these experiments where we took uh, iron shavings and put it on a paper and then put the magnet underneath. And you can actually see the magnetic lines, ma magnetic field. You can visibly see it with your eyes. Has anything like that ever been, been tried with your situation on a much larger scale? We haven't tried it with the iron filings, uh, and that's something a lot of people ask us, and, and we will probably do that at some point in time here. Um, this is basically new science, but we're putting it under the head of quantum physics because it is all about energy. The physicists that come here on tours or the scientists that come here on tours and some that have been here and work with us, they're absolutely amazed at what goes on here. And they pretty much agree that we are feel, we are experiencing uh, the quantum at the macro level where we can see it and experience it. And, and there's a lot of papers out today that talk about that, that everything we experience as, as humans on the macro level is basically quantum physics because we are quantum beings living in this quantum field. Well, the math seems to break down when it gets to a larger scale, though, as a thing. You know, I mean, uh, relativity is used for very large scale things, and quantum mechanics was developed to, to explain very, very small phenomenon. And so far, to my understanding, I know there's been some um, encouraging results here and there, but so far physicists have, have failed to kind of merge the two. Um, if, if such things are going on there, certainly some other people have come out and done experiments and taken measurements and maybe published something about it. Is there somewhere I can go to read about this stuff? Nobody has published anything about it yet, although I think we're getting close to those type of things. When we first got here, I mean, there was a hokey rundown roadside attraction, and we cleaned the whole place up. They had like a 1970s curio shop here. We put in a nice metaphysical gift shop. We cleaned the place up. We measured the field. We cleaned up the grounds. Uh, during the summertime, it's like a natural botanical garden out there. Uh, it's beautiful. But uh, when we first tried to get people to come here, uh, 
they would come, but they didn't want to be known that they're coming here. It's like you going and you going and you're in the physics department, and you're going to tell your the head of the physics department you're going to go out and research the house of mystery. And it's like, oh, sure, uh, that's going to affect your tenure. And we've had several people tell us over the years that they can't afford that. But now there's so much emphasis on portals. You can't turn on TV, uh, ancient aliens or any of the UFO programs or whatever, that they're not talking about vortexes and portals. And so as more as that becomes more acceptable, we have more scientists or more professors, scientists that are looking at this and trying to figure out things that they could possibly do here uh, to uh, classify it and document it. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd use TV as a, as a good uh, calibration for what might be real. It's not strong. It's got to get a, a good, good documentary company because like, TV, a TV show just ruin it. Like I know it's going to happen. Yeah, I know some of the producers on some of the shows you mentioned and that, those kinds of shows, and I say, well, there's no reason to believe any of that, honestly. So Yeah, but a good documentary company, though, like they, a good documentary company that does like year, multi-year-long projects and has the, the, the resources to do something like that, which a TV show doesn't, they can put some good gear in there, like really good cameras. And it's not just that, Cliff. I mean, there's UFOs popping up out of the mountain across the road. Yeah, we have uh, Columbia Mountain across the road from us is a UFO hotspot. It's been that way for years. And not a lot of people report the UFO sightings, but we take sightings here. We've seen them ourselves. We've had UFO nights where people come out and after dark and they sit outside in the front yard and watch the mountain. And it's not unusual. Um, it's kind of like Mount Adams over there. Um, what is it? East Eddy Rancher, uh, where they go. Yeah. Yeah, we we have the same sort of thing going on here, and there's tons of locals in the valley here that have been watching the mountain for years and and see not only balls of light, like orb-like things fly in and out of the mountain in different places, but also craft uh, objects fly in and out of the mountain. Both Saucer and Tammy and I have both seen uh, chevron-shaped craft uh, fly in and out of the mountain at different times over the time that we've been here. Tammy, by the way, is my wife. Uh, but yeah, it, Dave has been watching the mountain too, and he's uh, seen some strange things. We're going to have some more paranormal nights this year where people can come back and uh, and actually uh, watch the mountain or go down and experience the vortex after dark. But uh, one night we saw, we had probably Tammy and I together, we were up to about 11 or 12 unidentified flying objects, either flying in or flying out of Columbia Mountain. And Tammy looked at me and she said, do you think that they know that we're watching them? And we have a large mercury or mercury vapor light outside that comes on at dusk, goes off at dawn. And that sucker, it never turns off, never turns on. And no sooner than a, like a minute after she said that, that mercury vapor light started turning off and on. We're like, whoa, that never happens. To me, that's a sign that maybe they do know that we're watching them. And then a few minutes later, I I just, I scared Tammy. I just yelled out loud. I said, all right, that's, an, you know, that's enough of these little ones. Show us the freaking mothership. And it wasn't two or three minutes later that this large, um, I'd say 150 foot wingspan chevron shaped craft, probably hundred plus foot from nose to tail, just raised out of the side of the mountain, almost like a hologram, uh, came out and it just turned, kind of looked at us and then just took off. Careful what you asked for. Exactly. Um, but those are the type of things that happen here. I mean, every day we get up and we expect to have some sort of paranormal experience. Um, I mean, we just expect it. And we don't have it every day. You can go here day after day and nothing happens. Uh, we didn't have any knocks on the house last night. One of the things, we're not even sure it's Bigfoot, but uh, night before last, we had eight knocks on the back of the house. Just real quick little knocks 
when Tammy first got here, I suspected it was Bigfoot knocking on the house before she got here uh, because a lot of times they'd knock on the house and then they'd do a loud whoop um, or they'd bring a little one and the little one would kind of like speed knock on the house and do a small whoop. But they weren't, they weren't knocking on the house then. Uh, it was a pretty big guy and he'd come up and he'd slap the back of the house. And one time he slapped it and it's like, oh, um, like he had a big laugh out of it. I've, I've checked the back for tracks. We've never found tracks. Uh, we do have grass in the backyard. It's very hard. Um, one group at one period of time, I let the grass grow up. And when they started knocking on the house, I went out there and I did find some very large impressions in the grass that could have been big footprints. But again, nothing you could cast or if you took a picture of it, you wouldn't know. But after Tammy was here a little while and they were slapping the house, she has a hard time going to sleep. And then when she gets to sleep, it's really easier to wake her up. So she falls asleep late and then she's asleep for maybe a half hour and something comes up and slaps the back of the house. Well, it wakes her up. Well, after this happening several times, she one night she sat up in bed and she just goes, stop slapping the house. You're scaring me. If you want to let us know you're here, just knock nicely, but no more slapping the house. Well, after that, They've been knocking, and we've only had one house slap since then. Well, you know, like so much of this this sort of thing, like these these strange phenomenon and um, the paranormal, quote-unquote, things that are happening, unfortunately are, are left, just as Bobo pointed out earlier – he goes, Cliff, you got to see it for yourself. And unfortunately, that's where we leave it, you know, um, because there doesn't seem to be a lot that's verifiable without some sort of um, independent, uh, some sort of evidence, like a footprint cast, for example. Because you show me a cast, I can tell you if it's a Bigfoot cast or not. Yeah, that's true. And, and we... And we have we have had Bigfoot prints around the property in, in different areas. Uh, a few years ago, I we came uh, we were down in the desert in Arizona. We came back about this time, and there was snowdrifts still in the back. So every morning, I'd get up, I'd walk around, I'd check the snowdrifts to see if there was any prints in them. And there was about eight or nine different snowdrifts that I would check. Well, on the far end of the property, there's a game trail over there, and it's a migration trail. The, the deer come off the mountains; they go through our property and then down to the river. Um, I found a, uh, a 16, 16 and a half inch footprint in the snow. Very good toes. Um, I've showed pictures of it to Meldrum. He, he just based on the snow print, he, he feels that it probably is a Bigfoot. And we found a couple pretty good ones going across the snow drift. On the far side of the snow drift, we found some impressions uh, in, uh, in the pine duff. But I figured, well, they're going towards the road and the mountain. I'm going to follow it backwards and see where it goes. So I, I kind of worked my way backwards. And when I got down the hill uh, from our place and where the original prints were, I found a shelter down there, and the shelter was about nine, ten foot long. It was a, a log had been placed between two trees. One side had been completely covered with bark and sticks and leaves. The other side was partially open, and I found uh, a 19 inch uh, ice print down there. Like when we step in the, like if we're here in um, December and it snows and I go out and I walk across the backyard while well, I'm pushing the snow down, I'm compacting it. That night it freezes and then it gets covered with snow. Well, in the springtime, like now, when the snow starts melting off, boom, I got a, a perfect footprint of my pathway walking across the backyard. So I did find one 19 inch um, frozen print down there. But I also found five dead deer carcasses around the shelter. And the shelter was basically built right on that game trail. None of them had been scavenged. Uh, all of them appear to have been eaten. Uh, the bones were all there. All of them, their neck had been snapped. The hind legs, it's almost like it grabbed them by the head. And like cracking a whip, it broke their neck. And their hind legs, the crack was so heavy, it, it almost all of them, uh, their hind legs went around 180 degrees, broke the backbone there. All of them had been... Uh, Everything had been eaten, but nothing had scavenged it. When a deer gets killed on the road out here, uh, it's their very short period of time, and things come and start scavenging it. So I thought that was kind of interesting that the tracks I found going away from the shelter uh, 
appears that there could be a, possibly a Bigfoot down there. And there's no humans there. There was in down in that area, there was giant snow drifts all around and no evidence of anybody else going in there. Hey Joe, can I, can I cut you off real quick? Cause we're almost out of time. Uh, can you tell a clip about the two Bigfoots in the snow story? Yeah, I, uh, in, I, I got into Bigfoot back in 1983 and I had lots of experiences, but I never saw one until I came to Montana in 1980. Uh, in 2005, my son and I and my daughter-in-law were up in uh, Glacier Park. Uh, we had hiked into a place called Avalanche Lake. And coincidentally, there that's probably where there's more Bigfoot sightings uh, in the park than any place else around. And most of them don't get reported, although some of them are on the BFRO website. And also people hearing them. We hiked in there. We had to go through snowdrifts to get into the lake. And when we got in there, uh, I didn't have my camera. Matt had his camera, and we'd been out playing for several days, fishing trips and stuff. And he took a couple pictures, but he forgot to charge his camera. But while we're standing there, and Matt grew up in the Bigfoot world in terms of hanging out with me and us going and and looking for stuff. So he was aware of it. He just looks across the lake and he said, dad, there's two Bigfoot over there on that snowfield." And we looked over and sure enough, um, it appeared like there was one, maybe eight, nine foot tall and a smaller one in the six foot range. The big one was coming. They were both coming down the snowfield or partial frozen like glacier. And every once in a while they'd hit a hot stop, uh, a soft spot and they'd fall in. And then the big one would just a lot of arm swings and movement, just kind of bust through the the snow and come back up again on the hard pack and we had about maybe a three four minute sighting watching him come down the hill well we didn't have a camera to take a picture other people were there taking a picture and there was a german guy he had a pretty good sized telephoto lens but he didn't speak any english and he got some really good pictures that we were able to see and it definitely was two bigfoot walking across that snow film you can see details though like tell me how clear the pictures were yeah, they're clear pictures. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, we were across the lake from them. But first of all, as humans, there wouldn't be anybody over there. And we did some tentatively like Boy Scout measurements. You know, you take a stick, you line it up to somebody 100 yards away, put it across. We kind of estimated the distance. And these things were eight, nine foot range, six foot range, somewhere in there. And just massive, really long arms as they're walking down the snow field. Yeah, I think there's a tremendous amount of really good, uh, tremendous number of really good photographs out there that probably will only surface after academic acceptance of the species, unfortunately. But um, yeah. Well, Joe, I, I love the fact that you got a weird spot out there because um, I'm, I'm skeptical, but I think everybody should be skeptical of any claim, right? Um, whether it's Bigfoot or ghosts or uh, um, orbs or whatever else, you know? But as, and the thing about uh, these paranormal situations, and I hear it all the time, Bobo said it to me on this very vodcast, is that you have to see it for yourself, um, it's a subjective thing at this point until we get, can get a little bit more empirical about it, perhaps in some other ways. Oh, you know what, though, Cliff? I got the those orbs showed up on FLIR. That was the first time we know of that orbs showed up on thermal like that. Yeah, I saw that. I'm not convinced, folks. I hate to say it, but I, um, those seem to be uh, um, moving at the same place and uh, as the plant in the foreground. Those might be a, a heat reflected off of leaves. We, we stabilized it. We took we check it out. That's kind of my takeaway from that um, video that you shared. No. I'm sorry, Bobes. I'm sorry because I'm skeptical, and we got, and we can't just accept things. We have to see if they hold up to scrutiny. Well, it was about it was about 25 degrees that night, and we didn't have any sunlight, so everything was pretty cold. But you had a fire, right? Uh, we had a fire, but where he was taking the photos was, or the thermal imaging was quite a ways away from where we had the fire. Yeah, yeah. I think it might, might have been heat reflected off of the uh, off the leaves. But that's just me. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Um, hope I am. Hope there are orbs floating around that actually get caught on therms. But um, well, that was on, my they're on camera. They're on camera too. Red orbs where, where I got the thermal. Yeah, I, I only I only have access to the thermal, so I don't. I can't comment on that because I haven't seen it. But we'll again, straighten you know, your ass out, Cliff. We'll straighten you out. Sorry, I'm telling you, that that's my job, though, isn't it? My job is to like be the gatekeeper, and if it passes muster with me, then you know maybe there's something weird going on. I don't know. Um, and, and you know what? I don't know is, is the lesson to take away. There's a lot in this universe we don't know. I say it often. The universe is not only weirder than you think, it's weirder than you can think. Um, and there are places that weird stuff happens. I've had, I've seen a UFO or two. I've, I've had a weird ghost sort of thing. I don't know what it is. Um, there is weird stuff in the world and I'm more than happy to embrace all of it. Um, but 
at the same time, I, I'm that's I'm the evidence analyst. You know, that's my that's my gig. I love evidence, and, uh, and but it, but the point is, Joe, this long rambling thing is, I would love to come out to the Montana vortex and have you show me around and uh, check it out. Can anybody just show up? Can anybody just show up and camp there, or how does that work? Um, anybody can show up. Yeah, we look forward to you uh, coming, Cliff, and uh, we'll have a good time. We'll give you a great tour. And uh, you'll be able to see and experience some of the things for yourself. I would love to. Can people camp there? Uh, there's no camping around here, but uh, you could probably throw your tent out on the grounds here. But if any of our listeners want to come out and participate somehow. Actually, there's plenty of camping in the area. We're on the road. We're about 13 miles from Glacier National Park. There's campgrounds, RV parks, all kinds of things, not just around where we're at. We're kind of by ourselves uh, between Columbia Falls, Montana, and going up to the park. We, we sit out here by ourselves. But there's plenty of places around to camp or stay. You have a nice gift store and some nice facilities facilities and yeah we have a, a wonderful metaphysical gift shop we of course we sell all the glacier park stuff but we sell crystals uh all all of the things to do with the metaphysical world cool and do you have a website where people can go check things out montanavortex.com it's being rebuilt right now so we just have a small site up while the new site is being rebuilt but uh, yeah montanavortex.com well, I really hope you put some of the demonstrations, you know, some of the low-level ones that uh, give people interested and want to come out and check it out. Um, and I have been meaning to go to that area for quite a long time. That whole general spot is uh, one of the world's only inland um, temperate rainforests. Um, I'm sure you know. Yeah, and I would love to come check that out, despite my horrible fear of grizzly bears. If you're in Montana or Glacier Park area, you got to go. It's worth going out of the way. It'll it'll blow your mind. All right. Well, yeah, thank you so much, Joe. And thank you for putting up with my prodding questions. And, um, and just, I, I'm looking forward to coming out and visiting for several reasons. Well, thanks, Cliff. Thanks, Bobo. Appreciate it. All right. Okay, bye. All right, Bobs. That was a good one, man. Thanks so much for bringing them on. I know you had a great time at the Vortex. I mean, like you called me raving about it. I couldn't even understand half the stuff you were telling me. Um, so it's great to have Joe on to kind of hear a little bit more about the background of this very unusual location. You know, we didn't even get into his, uh, he's had a lot, he's had a lot of Bigfoot, uh, activity. You know, he was a top field biologist and he had, you know, he's got some other stories. We'll have to get him back on. Like when we get some, uh, results from the tests they're doing out there, we'll have him back on and he can go into the, some of the Bigfoot, like normal, you know, 3d Bigfoot stuff. Well, Bose, maybe you and I can get out there sometime and maybe do a live broadcast from there or something, and that'd be a lot of fun. And you'd be a great guy to go with, of course. You know, I would love it. I'm not sure you'd like to go with me or not, but um, I would definitely like to go with you. <laughs> I would. I'm in, dude. I'm in. All right, Bubs, you want to take us home? Yep. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in and listening to Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. Hit the like button, hit the share, and uh, make sure you get out to Montana. Check out the Vortex. And until next week, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 